Thank you guys for being here tonight. We really appreciate it. So tonight, I hope that you guys are, are ready just to take, take a, an hour or so this evening just to take a step back, relax, and just recognize all that we are about to experience in the next couple of days. You know, this is such a beautiful time of year as we celebrate the incarnation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so tonight we're gonna we're gonna hear some some scripture readings. We're going to sing some uh, Christmas carols together, uh, and then we're gonna look at Luke chapter two a little bit, and then we're gonna take communion together uh, as the body of Christ. And so if you will bow your head to pray with me, and then we're gonna ask the Lord to meet with us here this evening, and then we'll, we'll start our service. Jesus, we thank you for Christmas. God, thank you that uh, we will um, just be celebrating your birthday here in two short days. God, with the hustle and bustle of shopping and work and travel, and family. Lord, will you allow us to worship you tonight, worry-free and distraction-free? Holy Spirit, we invite you into this space, and we ask you to prepare our hearts to worship. May we praise the name that is above all names, and may we make much of King Jesus together this evening. God, we love you, and we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold the virgin child, conceive and bear son, son and child. Call his name Emmanuel. All right. Thank you, buddy. All right. We're going to sing Come the Long Expected Jesus. And Isaiah, it's in the group me, the lyrics, is in the group me. And where else is it? Facebook. So if you want to pull up lyrics now, I'll give you 15 seconds. <laughs> I'll give you a little more than that. So take your time. Look up Come the Long Expected Jesus, and we'll begin in just a moment. All right, let's stay in worship. Come the long-expected Jesus. Shall let it 
Jesus, born to set thy people free. Amen. Sing silent night. In silent night. In holy night. And all is calm. And all is bright. And round yon virgin mother and child. And holy infant so tender and mild. And sleep Sleep in heavenly peace In silent night In holy night In shepherd's quake And glory stream from heaven afar, and heavenly hosting and Christ the Savior. Christ the Savior is born. In silent night, in holy night, the Son of God and love's pure. Radiant beings from thy holy place. Amen. And with the dawn of redeeming grace, our Jesus. And Jesus, Lord, and thy Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it, with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Amen. Sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel. God appeared and 
Father God, we thank you for this time of worship. Thank you for the opportunity just to gather together. Help us not to forget what a privilege that is. God, would you bless this time, bless this night, bless Kevin, help him to speak your word. Not to let himself get into what, in the way, but let the gospel speak for itself. Pray this all in your name. Amen. You can have a seat. Band, thank you guys. That was great. Well, what a blessing it is to have you guys here with us tonight. I see familiar faces. I see some family. Thank you guys for joining us. This is actually our first ever uh, Christmas holiday service as a church since Alethea launched back in 2013. It's kind of crazy to, to think, but this is our first uh, Christmas Eve service. And we're here to do one thing tonight. And I said this earlier, that's to celebrate the incarnation of Jesus Christ, our King. Have you ever thought to yourself why, at least in the U.S. and in the West, but really worldwide, why is Christmas such a big deal? At least from a, a pop culture phenomenon, even those that would consider themselves to be non-religious at least tend to observe the holiday in some way, shape, or form. And I think there are some small, probably fairly obvious reasons for that. It's culturally appropriate, at least in the U.S. They're, you're off of work. There's things to do. Family is getting together. Uh, maybe, maybe this speaks to some of you who doesn't love a good story about a baby being born right? Many of us love babies. I was just saying yesterday that Ruth Ann brought baby Judah by the office, and there's nothing that I'm more freely allowed to interrupt my sermon prep time than a baby being brought into the office. Especially a story, though, about a baby born in odd circumstances, right? Born in a stable, it was a virgin birth, laid in a manger, or maybe we celebrate because of the fact of who we know Jesus grew up to be. I want us to, tonight, though, to look again at the story of Jesus' birth in Luke chapter 2. And I want us to look at it in light of what Israel was longing and hoping for, something we just sang about just a few moments ago. And I want us to see why the arrival of Jesus is the greatest news the human race has ever received. It is the most important event to take place in human history until Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. But without his birth, there is none of that. Think about our reading earlier, and if you get a chance afterwards, come up and congratulate my sons. They're both very nervous to get up here and share those verses with you. Even as of this morning, we were on the fence whether Josiah would make it up on stage or not, but he powered through. Good job, buddy. But both of those readings came from the book of Isaiah, and the prophet Isaiah is writing about what is going to happen to Israel and what he sees God is going to do hundreds of years before Jesus ever is born. Isaiah is prophesying in this story that Israel will abandon God and what is to follow is destruction and exile. If you're in a good mood and want to ruin it real quickly, read through the prophet Isaiah and what's going to happen to Israel. It'll, it'll damper your mood real quick. And eventually what we know came to pass is that the Assyrians and the Babylonians conquered Israel and did exactly what Isaiah the prophet said would happen. It sent them into exile. 
And after a period of discipline and exile, a faithful remnant was prophesied that they would return to Jerusalem. And with that, this Messiah, which means anointed one, God's chosen king or person, would establish a reign for Israel that would honor God and last forever. Not just like a generation, not just a couple hundred years. No, the promise was that when this king was ushered in, that that kingdom would reign for eternity. And from history, we know Israel rebelled. God used Assyria and Babylon to conquer and exile Israel. But during this time, those faithful to God longed for God to reestablish Israel through the Messiah. And they looked towards these promises that we read tonight in the book of Isaiah for this king who would come and rescue God's people, turn them back to him, and rule and reign for eternity. Think about Isaiah 7.14, the verse that Josiah read for us. He says that the Lord himself will give you a sign, a sign that he is going to reestablish his kingdom, that God has allowed the, the season of punishment and discipline to subside, and that that, se- that season is now over. And he says this, that the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel. Now that word Emmanuel means God is with us. See, there's this this thought process that kind of, I think, pervades us is that God is this separate entity, and he very much is, and he's transcendent, but there is no access to him. And what God was promising to his people as they were being disciplined for their rebellion and their refusal to follow him is that that discipline was going to be meant not to punish them, to not be harsh, to not shame them, but to help them to see and recognize their need for God as their king, not some earthly king that brings upon good fortune for a few years. And that when this king returns, it won't just be a good guy who can reign well as king. No, it'll be God himself with us. See, in this particular portion in the narrative of Isaiah, God is promising to Ahaz that Israel's oppression would eventually end and that everyone would be brought back together to Israel And they were to look for these signs, that the virgin would conceive and bear a son, and that this son's name would be Emmanuel. Then in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7, there are more promises about this child who will fix everything. Promises concerning this child, this king, who will have the entire government Upon his shoulders, as Isaiah says. And then he goes on to list a number of of titles that will describe what this king will look at like. Like, let's let's look at a few of those. Says he will be called Wonderful Counselor, that this king is going to deal with broken relationships and broken humans. He's not just a king who tells us what to do and rules with an iron fist. No, he's a counselor who comes to us in our brokenness and is available to us. He says that he'll be called mighty God. Now, frequently you'll hear people say that the the Messiah couldn't possibly be Jesus because Israel only longed for a human king from the Davidic line. But Isaiah himself said that this king would be called mighty God. And to do that unless the king was God himself would be blasphemy to the religion of the Jews. 
And so we see Isaiah saying, this king will be a wonderful counselor to his people. He will be a mighty God in the flesh. He will be called everlasting father. Some of us had really good dads. Some of us didn't have good dads. And the promise of Isaiah is that those that are adopted as God's children have a father who is good for eternity. They said that this child will be called Prince of Peace in a world where there is enmity, strife, war, anger, polarization, fighting. All of this will be done away with under the rule of this king. And there will be an increase of his government. That's the kingdom of God. And the empire of grace will forever expand and every moment will be better than the last. Guys, I know that the last almost two years have been pretty hard. Or at least that's what we have been told. Guys, do you know that global poverty is the lowest it's ever been in human history? Do you know that crime around the world is not increasing, but decreasing? Do you know that fewer people die from natural disasters today than 15 years ago? And estimations are that it will only continue to get better. So we long and look for the promise of the kingdom of God and grace expanding. We see God moving and at work today. And in this, the promise of this king from Isaiah is that his kingdom will establish justice and righteousness. Can you guys think of two things our world needs more than a king who will rule just and righteously? And we have access to that king. I mean, think of think a moment about these promises. I mean, not only would Israel long for a counselor as they came back together and reestablished families and left exile and, and sought to, to heal and seek wisdom from God, but should we long for that as well? The nation of Israel longing for a prince of peace where there would be no more war, no more enmity, no more exile, no more fighting. Wouldn't that be nice? a kingdom of justice and righteousness. I know we are fond of democracy in the United States, but imagine a just and righteous government led by a king that is both for the glory of God, but also for his people. Israel longed for this. They cried out for this king to come, to heal, to bring peace, to bring leadership, to bring justice, to bring righteousness to a people that were so desperate for it. And so in light of what we see promised in the book of Isaiah, turn over in your Bible with me to Luke chapter 2. And let's read this story together. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. To be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, 
the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. So from world history, right, you, you can study and see that there was a period of time where Caesar Augustus did, in fact, demand that a census take place for Rome and its provinces. And during this time happens to be the time where Mary becomes uh, pregnant with the Holy Spirit. She's betrothed to this man by the name of Joseph, but they had not married yet. And so she is a virgin just pro as promised in Isaiah chapter 7. And when they returned to Bethlehem to register, as Joseph was supposed to, Mary gives birth to this baby. And then look at verse 8 with me. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying, that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. So Jesus is born, and outside of the city, there are some shepherds in the field watching over their flock. Anyone in here ever taken care of cattle or sheep? Okay, so there's like four of you who might understand what's happening at this point, right? Shepherds would be doing this during the night because if they didn't, they would lose their livelihood, Likely someone would come and steal the sheep or uh, a wolf could come and, and kill the sheep. And so they would actually sleep with their flocks at night to protect them and keep them safe. And as they're out there kind of half asleep watching over their flock, an angel of the Lord shows up. And I always love this. Anytime you see the presence of God kind of really manifest itself, you see the shepherd's response is what? Fear. You're like, oh, Right, and think about that for a moment, because I think there is a, a stark reality for many of us where we have lost the awe of the presence and magnificence of who God really is. We treat church as just another thing to check off. We treat reading our Bible as just another thing to check off. We treat praying as just another thing to check off our list. Any of the things that we might think of that we're supposed to be doing as Christians, we check those things off on our list, not realizing that they are designed to draw our gaze and our attention to the name that is above all names, to the very presence that if we were to be, see it made manifest before us, would cause us to drop in fear immediately. And so they have this appropriate response to these angels, and the angels cry out to them, Fear not, like calm down, 
We're not going to strike you down on spot. Relax. Because we have good news of great joy. And then I want you to know this part. For all people. Because that is a radical idea for any Israelite Jew. That God would be about to do something magnificent that wouldn't just bless Israel, but would bless the entire world, the goyim, the nations. They say to them, Jesus is born, Christ, the Messiah, the Lord, God. Go and see him. He's in Bethlehem and you'll find him there lying in a manger. And the moment that that proclamation is made, it's like an announcement. The angel shows up and says, hey, I've, I've got some news. It's as if breaking news pops on CNN or Fox News or MSNBC or CNBC or whatever your news network of choice is. The angels pop on the loudspeaker and say, breaking news, God's finally done it. The Messiah is here. He's arrived. And the moment he makes that announcement, a multitude of angels, and just imagine this, you're there and you're already freaked out because an angel shown up unexpectedly out of nowhere to announce to you that this baby is born. And then just a couple thousand show up in the clouds and they begin to sing glory to God in the highest. And that's not just some accident. This is what they're, what they're doing. They're drawing the shepherd's attention. They're drawing us to look and see. Look what God has done. He promised that he would do this, and he has done it. Praise him. It's, it's accomplished. He promised it would happen, and he kept his promise. Friends, in a world that offers up empty promises, God does not. And we celebrate tonight that some 2,000 years ago, God kept his promise to us, his people. And so they finish this song. I don't know how long it goes for, but they finish this song. The worship sets over, and then the angels just vanish. And I, I don't know about you, but <laughs> I kind of relate with the shepherds a little bit. It's like, now what? <laughs> like, the best worship concert of all time has just ended. And it's like, well, now what? And it says that the shepherds immediately left their flocks. Now, this is a huge, huge deal. This is their livelihood. And they basically have just decided after seeing these angels and worshiping the God of the heavens with them, yeah, I don't really care about my business anymore. I don't really care if my family eats tomorrow. We're going to go see this baby because God has kept his promise. And so they left and went to worship Jesus. And so they show up, they see him, and they worship. And while they're there, they testify to what had happened to them. They say, look, we were just out in the fields. And you're never going to believe this. But a bunch of angels showed up and said that we were supposed to come, not to the inn, but the barn out back. And go to the barn. And that in that barn, there would be a baby. And that baby is going to be the king who saves the entire world. And then we showed up, and here you are. The Messiah has been born. And there's this line that if you're not reading carefully, you might just miss it. It says this, all who heard it wondered. They sat there. They see this baby born. They see these shepherds having left their flocks, coming to Bethlehem, head straight for the stable, testify that the Messiah has been born, 
And their response is not to drop on one knee and worship with them. And what do they do? Hmm, I wonder. Could these guys be telling the truth? Because they clearly have a lot to gain. By making up and concocting a story that the Messiah is in a barn. Church, 2,000 years later, we need not wonder like the people who heard the shepherd's testimony that night. While they were unsure of who this child was and whether he was really God's Messiah, we need not be. We know what this child grew up to be. We know that he grew in stature and walked with the Lord. We know that he started his public ministry, was baptized, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him, and the voice of the Father rained down and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. We know that Jesus did exactly what the Old Testament prophets said that the Messiah would do. He would heal the lame. He would bring sight to the blind. That he would set free the captives. Just read one of the gospel accounts. I'm reading through the gospel of Mark right now. It's story after story after story of Jesus doing exactly what the Messiah was supposed to do. Rescuing, redeeming, healing, restoring over and over and over again. There's even this beautiful part in one of the gospels where John's disciples come to Jesus and say like, hey, John's unsure even though he saw the Holy Spirit descend upon you like a dove and the, the heavens roar out in, in proclamation that you were God's son, he's still a little unsure. And Jesus responds to John's disciples and just says, just go tell them all that I'm doing, basically. Tell them that the blind see, right, that the deaf hear. Right? Just go tell them all of these things that I'm doing. He'll know. He'll know that that's a fulfillment of what the Messiah was supposed to be. And then we know that that same man, three years later, after starting that public ministry, rode a donkey into Jerusalem, celebrated and hailed as the king, the anointed one, the promised one that we're talking about and celebrating tonight. And a few days later, was murdered unjustly at the hands of wicked men and women. But here was the beautiful thing about that king. That was his mission. That the Bible actually teaches us that Jesus willingly gave up his life and it was his life's mission to rescue and redeem us. This baby born in a manger's entire trajectory of his life was to be hung on the cross at Calvary. And then three days later, that king rose from the dead. And some 40-some days after that, he ascended into heaven and he rules and reigns even as I speak at the right hand of God Almighty. The kingdom's still going, guys. The king is in charge. Sometimes it may not look like it, but King Jesus is alive and ruling and reigning. And so I would encourage us tonight, I'm going to sing some more songs. We're going we're gonna to take communion here in a minute. So over the next several days, don't allow yourself to forget that the entire reason this holiday, this season, this structure culturally exists around us is so that we might worship Jesus. Jesus, our wonderful counselor. Life is hard. Jesus is there to guide us. Jesus is our everlasting father. Paul promises this in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. Let me read that to you.
He is the image of the invisible God. This is Jesus that he's talking about. The firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. He is the firstborn and the head of the church. He's our father, and we can go to him. Jesus is our everlasting father. Not only that, but Jesus is the Prince of Peace. We were, like our first father, Adam, rebellious, sinful, choosing to reject God and place ourselves on the throne of our own lives, declared enemies by God, lacking in trust, failing to trust his promises, and where there was enmity with God, Jesus came and healed that enmity, restored fellowship, because he is the Prince of Peace. Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrated his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And just a couple verses before that in verse 1, Paul says that peace with God was restored because of Jesus. I think sometimes we lose sight of the fact, even, even as Christians, even in attempting to worship Jesus during the Christmas season, we lose sight of the fact of the why. This is why. Because our wonderful counselor, our everlasting father, our prince of peace has come and saved us all. And we gather this night to celebrate our king, to worship our Messiah, the anointed one, the promised one of Isaiah, to affirm that God is with us in Christ and peace has been made because Jesus came. He came humbly as a child on that Christmas night. He lived holy, obedient to God, serving us and healing his people. And he died blameless in our place so that the wrath of God might be satisfied and the righteousness of Jesus given to us to prove once and for all He's our wonderful counselor, our everlasting father, our prince, our prince of peace. And he is alive still today, church, ruling, reigning. Let's worship him together. I'm going to turn the lights down. I'm going to invite the band back up. And we're going to take communion together. All right, and, the, and so if you haven't already, if you're a follower of Jesus here tonight, I would encourage you to go ahead and grab uh, a communion packet. And we're going to take communion together as the church. And the reason we do that is because communion is an act of worship. Communion is our time as God's people to remember and reflect that our king has come and that we are here to worship that reality. That this kingdom has come and that this king will come again.
And as we long for that second coming, that second advent, we take communion to worship and reflect as a foretaste of the banquet feast we will enjoy at the feet of Jesus one day. And so let's take communion together as God's people. In the scriptures, Jesus invites all people who have trusted in him for salvation to partake in communion. Communion is our opportunity as the people of God to spend time in quiet meditation, considering God's faithfulness, considering God's promises and how he kept them, and to confess our sins in light of God's faithfulness. Once we have confessed these sins, we partake in the bread and the juice as an act of worship. Communion is a reminder that Jesus freely gave his life so that we would be forgiven and adopted as God's children. We take it not as an act of contrition and penance, but worship. Because in Christ, God has promised that we are forgiven. We also take the Lord's Supper as a foretaste to a future time where we will dine at the banquet feet of Christ in heaven. I'm going to lead us through a simple response time as we partake in communion. Let's just take a few minutes to pause and reflect on the reality of what we saw tonight, that this King, this this Messiah came to rescue and redeem us and then spend some time confessing sins and asking God to forgive you and to increase your faith. Let's pray. The Apostle Paul shares with us a simple way to remember Jesus' atoning work for us in his letter to the church at Corinth in chapter 11. He says this, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You may take and eat the bread, the body of Christ given for you. In the same way, Also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. You may partake in the juice. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death 
until he comes. Let's pray. Eternal God and Heavenly Father, thank you for Christmas. Lord, we're going to leave this place this evening. Some of us are going to have to work tomorrow. Some of us are going to have to run around doing last-minute shopping, preparing food, preparing beds, cleaning, driving, traveling. All while being worried about whether we are making the right decision because someone could get sick. And there'll be many who are in the hospital who won't even be able to be with family during this season. God, there's so many distractions. Holy Spirit, will you free us to reflect and set our gaze on you. Lord, thank you for communion and that it reminds us of the magnitude of your love for us and the way in which it encourages us to continuously worship you. Lord, all of life is worship. Remember that. Lord, send us now into the world in peace and grant us strength and courage to love and serve you and others with gladness and unity. And I ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in the same way that those angels sang, for the shepherds. We're going to sing now. We're going to sing of that night. Oh, holy night. So let's stand and worship. Let all 
sing, O come, all ye faithful.
Jesus, we thank you for that everlasting love. So would you remind us in this season to be fixated on you and to be filled with joy at the recognition of your coming as a baby. Spreading the gospel everywhere. Coming to die on the cross and resurrecting into new life so that we might be able to spend eternity with you Fill us with joy this season. Amen. Thank you guys so much for enjoying us, uh, joining us tonight. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Um, if we could have your help after uh, we're, we're done, obviously you're welcome to stick around and, and talk. But we need to stack these chairs because uh, we have to take them out of the building tonight because this is actually our last night in this facility. Um, so if you could put them in stacks of seven, that would be great and very, very helpful to the crew that's loading them up in the trailer. Reminder that there is no service this Sunday. So feel free to enjoy time with family or go visit one of the other wonderful churches here in Gainesville that'll be worshiping Jesus on Sunday morning. And we will see you guys January 2nd at 10 a.m. at the Rock School over on the west side of 75. Love you guys. Merry Christmas.